begin reading in Acts 15 in verse 1. It says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. And so the year is probably A.D. 50. Uh, At this point in church history, uh, Christianity was still kind of in its infant stages. You know, they didn't have it all figured out in the beginning. They're learning as they're growing as a church, right? And so they're studying the Holy Scriptures diligently, and they're putting it side by side with what the Holy Spirit is doing experientially. They're learning the truth about the new covenant. That's where the church is at this point. You know, Jesus had promised his apostles something very important in John 16, 13, that he would guide them into all truth. And so that's where they are right now as a church. You know, so in reading Acts 15, it's not 100% surprising that these men arrive from Judea. They They come from Jerusalem. They come from the temple. All the ceremonies, you know, with... The misunderstanding that, you know, they go now to the Gentile church there in Antioch and they say, hey, you guys have to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses in order to be saved. You know, and and you got to kind of put yourself in their shoes, you know, for the Jews, circumcision was core. It was key, right? It was a ceremony given to their great uh, ancestor, Abraham. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 17, symbolizing the cutting away of the flesh and entering into a new covenant with God. To them, this was the door that brought them into the covenant. Circumcision was huge for the Jew. It was so important that at one point, Moses was about to be killed by God. Moses was. You guys know who Moses was, the one who was called by God. He was going to be killed by God because he didn't circumcise his sons. And so you read about that in Exodus 4, 24 through 26. Thankfully, his wife stepped in. She then circumcised his sons, and they were saved. But that's how important it was to them. And so, you know, when you read the account here, we're not 100% surprised by these guys who come in and say, hey, you need to be circumcised to be saved. Because again, remember, this is the early stages. It's a transition going on as the law has been completed, has been fulfilled by Jesus, right? And so here they are in Antioch. It's a church that had a lot of Gentiles. And you could read the parallel passage in Galatians chapter 2. And there in verse 4, it says that these false teachers, they came in by stealth. And that means they came in under the radar. The leaders didn't know about them. And they started teaching the people the heresy of salvation by works heresy and it's even deadly it's like that guy who told the girl to get off on the wrong spot it'll kill you if you listen to false teachers and so you know thankfully paul and barnabas by this time they had a good grip on the gospel man and they didn't put up with it for a minute you know they corrected the false teachers they countered them and there was this debate argument at length neither side would budge and so What happened is the church eventually said, okay, you guys need to go to Jerusalem, talk to the apostles and elders, and settle the question. Now, when you read Galatians chapter 2, 
you find that Paul didn't really want to go. You know, he, he knew his Bible. You know, he didn't need to be confirmed by men. But Galatians chapter 2, verse 2 tells us that he went up by revelation, which means the Lord supernaturally appeared to him, revealed to him that he should go, and this would be for the benefit of the people, right? This church council, so that everyone would see publicly that we're not saved by works, we're not saved by circumcision, we're not saved by being baptized. We're saved by faith, by believing, by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's what they did. We find that as that the Holy Spirit guided the church into all truth, there would be these church councils. And you see it in church history, wherein the church would search the scriptures. They would be led by the Spirit, and the church would grow from infancy to maturity to eventually coming to that place that Jesus said they would come to one day in John 16, 13, all truth. And so they now journey from Jerusalem, I mean from Antioch to Jerusalem. We read in verse 3, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. You know, when the false teachers spoke, there was confusion. And we're going to see later, there were souls that were unsettled. But when the true teachers spoke, there was salvation. Souls were saved and there was great joy. And that's what happens when you bring the truth, right? I like what John Corson said. He said, some people bring joy wherever they go. Others bring joy whenever they go. <laughs> you want to be one of those that brings joy. You want to bring the truth. You want to bring the gospel. Isn't it awesome when people get saved? I mean, that's what it's all about. You know, but these guys, they go from Antioch to Jerusalem. It's about uh, 400 miles to give you kind of a, a visual of it. It's the same distance between San Francisco and Los Angeles, right around there. And it, it would take them three weeks on foot. And, you know, when you consider the fact that there were no hotels there in those days, they would rely heavily on the hospitality of the believers. They would meet along the way. And so in their fellowship, they would describe the conversion of the Gentiles, and it brought great joy to all the brethren. And we've studied in the book of Acts already, you know, how, you know, the Old Testament had predicted the salvation of the Gentiles over and over again. We see it. There are a plethora of scriptures in the Old Testament. And even Jesus had predicted it in John chapter 10, verse 16. He said, another sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so now in the book of Acts, we see all this coming to pass, right? The book of Acts is about Jesus building his church. And it's so cool. We're still in the book of Acts. You know, like Joshua is saying, hopefully some of you guys step up out of your comfort zone and you become a missionary. And I would encourage you, and again, this is my personal conviction, but I think if you can, if you can, if at all possible, rather than going on a vacation, go on a missions trip at least once a year. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, I'm too young. Well, talk to Michaela about that. Some of you, well, I'm too old. Well, I remember this one guy, Ray, I think he was like 80 years old, man. He went. What's your excuse? 
Try it. It'll change your life. Get out of your comfort zone. We're still in the book of Acts. God is still building his church. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, Lord, raise up more laborers. And Lord, maybe I'll be an answer to that prayer. Pray about it. You know, I, I know where God guides, God provides. And some of you are here, you're already saying no. You're saying no, no, I can't go. I don't have the money to go. Well, would you ever stop to think that maybe if you said yes to Jesus, I'll go, that he'll provide? But you already closed your heart. God can use you on the mission field, no matter who you are. God is building his church, right? And so they're on their way. They go to Jerusalem. Look at verse 4. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church. And the apostles and the elders, they reported all things that God had done with them. You know, those desks that they built, God built them. God laid it on Gio's heart and Joshua and Joey and Victor, the guys that went and built those desks. So now rather than having 16 students, they have 40 students. So we come and we're able to report what God had done. And we talked about this last week. That's what they did when they arrived in Antioch. Now they're giving the report in Jerusalem, how God did the work. God saved souls. God healed broken bodies. God raised the dead. What an amazing work. And notice what it says there in verse 4, that God had done with them. See, when you step out, he'll step out with you. It's not just a mission. It's a co-mission. I'll be with you, Jesus said. And that's how it works. And so God did the work with them. And they gave the report. It's an awesome report. Man, people are getting saved. Even the Gentiles are getting saved. Even, you know, these people that we thought were way beyond reach. Even the Buddhists are getting saved. You know, even the Hindus are getting saved. I mean, it's just so cool to see, right? So it's an awesome report. And you'd figure that everybody's good with it, right? Everybody's on board, right? But... It's not true. Look at verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, they rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders, they came together to consider this matter. The Pharisees, some of you know who they were, the sect of the Pharisees. They were the ones who were trained up and caught up and legalities and ceremonies. They were very much into rules and regulations, right? But now some of the Pharisees had expressed faith in Christ or believers in the Lord, and they're now having a hard time letting go of all those laws. Now, Pastor Chuck, he said, like Paul, other Pharisees had been converted, but unlike Paul, these men had not completely left their Pharisaic baggage behind. And so that's these guys. They rise up and they say, hey, not only is it necessary for them to get circumcised, they need to keep the whole law of Moses. And so the apostles and elders in Jerusalem, the leaders are about to make this decision. And we'll see there's a lot of discussion, debate, arguing going on. And so we read in verse 7, And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them, 
by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts, notice, by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. See, after exhaustive debates and discussion, finally Peter rises up and he reminds them. He says, man, you guys know, you know what happened a while ago. And it had been nine years. We read about it in Acts chapter 10 and 11 that God supernaturally called Peter to do something he'd never done before, and that is to go to the house of a, of a Gentile man. The man's name was Cornelius in Caesarea. He would enter into the house, which was unlawful for a Jew, And he went in, and you guys remember the story, he shared the gospel, right? And so he goes in, he shares the gospel, he speaks the words. You know, you read in Acts 10, 43, that, you know, he's talking about Jesus, right? And through his name, he says, through his name, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus will receive forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. You don't have to go through ceremonies. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to... You know, have it all figured out. You don't have to get your life together and then maybe God will save you. All you have to do is believe right here, right in hell. In a moment, an instant of time, you'll be saved, you'll be forgiven, you'll be cleansed, you'll be justified. It's not a ceremony. There aren't mediators. It's just faith. That's the gospel. And as Peter is there in the house of Cornelius sharing that message with them, While he's speaking the words, we read what happened to those Gentiles in Acts 10.44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And you guys remember what happened? They all got saved. Peter tells them here in Acts 15, you know about that. And so, you know, we read here in Acts 15 verse 8, You know, Peter's conclusion. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. When we believed by grace, through faith, we were saved. You know, they didn't have to get circumcised to be saved. They didn't need the law of Moses to have the life of Jesus. It didn't even have to happen in the temple or the synagogue. I mean, it was right there in the middle of a Gentile home where God acknowledged them, publicly validated, confirmed their salvation by faith in Christ. And notice again, we read in verse 9, and he made no distinction between us and them, between Jews and Gentiles, right? Purifying their hearts, how? By faith he did it. Now therefore, Peter says, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? You know, Peter's like saying we shouldn't even be having this conversation. You know, the, the real question is why in the world would you want to strain the patience of God, tempt him to judge us if he put this burden back on the people? It's a burden that we were never able to bear. And what happens, you guys, is as time progresses, the church begins to understand more and more that the law of Moses in and of itself was never able to save. You know, no one could 
possibly keep the law for one. And secondly, part of its purpose was just to show us that we're simply sinners in need of a Savior. You know, and so Paul's theology would, you know, come full circle and they would understand it. And he would later write in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For the law is the knowledge of sin. One day when you stand before God and you're giving an account, and you know, in one sense, you're wondering, well, why would God let me in? You can't say, well, I I did the sacraments. I went to church because if you do, he's probably going to pull the lever and you're going to fall right there at that point. You know, you can't stand before God and say, I was a religious person. I attended church. I read my whole Bible. No, It's, it's by the grace of God. You know, when I'm standing before God one day, I'm not going to be able to say, well, Lord, I was a pastor and I went to Cambodia. Remember that? That doesn't get anybody in. All that's hopefully from a heart of gratitude because I'm saved. The moment you place your faith in Christ, you're saved. You're forgiven. You're validated by God. You're accepted by Him. He sees you as perfect without any sin. The moment you believe, that's why they call it the gospel. It's the good news. It's a free gift that we receive by grace. It's not by the works of the law. You know, Romans 3.28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Galatians is also a book that's all about this. In verse 24, Paul said, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. You see, the law was temporary. It was a tutor. It showed us our sin, but it could never save us from sin. The law was like a shadow of Jesus, who is the substance. You know, in the Old Testament, when the Jews and proselytes, they placed their faith in the sacrifices given through Moses, it was really faith in Christ. But, but what happened is when they died, they went into Abraham's bosom. They didn't go to heaven right away. It wasn't until Jesus died on the cross, he went in and he set them free. It was then that they were able to enter into heaven. We read that in Luke chapter 16 in Ephesians 4. When, when Jesus died on the cross... He finished the work and he fulfilled the law. And the church discovered it's not the law of Moses, it's the life of Jesus. It's not by being circumcised or baptized. Understand, it is not the church who makes someone canonized that makes them a saint. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us saints. If someone comes and teaches you that you need to be circumcised or baptized to be saved, or you need to do works for your salvation to earn your way, understand this. That person, that church, has perverted the gospel. They put poison into it, and they're letting you off in the wrong spot. That was the primary reason that Paul wrote the book of Galatians. He He told them, I, I, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him 
who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ because they were telling them they need to be circumcised. They were telling them that they need to keep the law. Galatians 6 and verse 15, NLT, says it doesn't make any difference now whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have really been changed into a new and different person. And that's what happens when you get saved. We don't, you know, believe that we're saved by works any longer. So if someone comes, and they might come into this church, they might come in by stealth. They might say, hey, come to our Bible study. We have a little one going on here on the side. And then they tell you, you know, that, that church that they're, they're teaching you that all you got to do is believe by faith. This and that's not right. You also got to do one, two, three, four, five steps to salvation. You, you got to get baptized. You got to get baptized in a certain way. How did they baptize you? Well, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, no. There are some churches that tell you you can't get baptized like that. You got to get baptized in Jesus' name only, and it has to happen by us. We don't take this sitting down. As a matter of fact, Paul in Galatians chapter six, I mean chapter five and verse twelve, he says, "I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off." What is he saying right there? He's saying, "Okay, these guys are coming in, and they're telling you that you can't be saved unless you get circumcised." I, that upsets me so much. I wish these guys would castrate themselves. That's how passionate he is, and that's how important this is. You know, I was reading a story. Pastor Chuck was saying that one day they were, you know, in the church parking lot after service, and there were some guys that came up, and they were talking to the guys that were out there, and they're saying, hey, you know, how did they baptize you? Oh, yeah, we find the Son and Holy Spirit. Well, that doesn't count. You're not saved, and you're baptized by us in Jesus' name only. And so Pastor Chuck asked him to leave. You know, another time he talks about how these guys came and they said, hey, you know, this church, Carrie Chapel, Costa Mesa, it's not a real church. If you want to be part of the real church, you need to come and you need to join us over here in Anaheim. And so Pastor Chuck went up to the guy and he grabbed him by the collar and he escorted him off the premises. He said, listen, you know, we're a church. There are other good churches in this city that teach the gospel. And, and, you know, we don't need to go join your church or don't do this to them. And listen, he said, if you ever come back, I'm not going to be so nice to you. See, that, we don't take this sitting down. This is life and death. If one day you stand before God and you say, well, the reason I can come to church, the reason I can go to heaven is because I did this ceremony, then you're in big trouble. It's because of Christ. Peter asked them, why would you want to put that type of yoke on them? You know, and Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he said, they bind heavy burdens. Come, if you're, if you're weary, if you're tired, take my yoke. I'll give you rest for your souls. And so we read in verse 12, after Peter's words, then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles, you know? I mean, Peter's talks and then Paul and Barnabas talk and God is doing these miracles. Really, like I said, they're studying the Holy the Scriptures diligently. They're sharing what they're learning experientially. The Holy Spirit is making it clear, guiding them into all truth. And the thing about it, we've got to remember truth is not by experience only. It must be by exposition as well. It's not just the miracles. It's got to be in the message. It's not just the signs. 
It's got to be in the scriptures. And that's where James now steps up in verse 13. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. In verse 14, Simon declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. See, he's talking about the Bible. The words of the prophets agree. This is from Amos 9, 11, and 12, just as it is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind, there it is, may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. And so they're, they're having the discussion, they're having the debate, Peter steps up, and when he talks, everybody's quiet because they listen to Peter. Paul and Barnabas talk, and they're talking about their experience, but now it comes, it comes to the formal decision. And James steps up, and he shares how it's biblical. And we believe that at this point in time, James was a pastor there in Jerusalem. You know, it's interesting. I thought it was interesting how Peter... You guys remember when we read back when Peter was rescued from prison by the Lord... And then what we read in, in Acts 12, verse 17, after he got you know, rescued, he goes and emotions to them with his hand to keep silent. And he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And this is what he said, go and tell these things to James and to all the brethren. And so Peter, in and out of Jerusalem, James, the brother of Jesus, he's now the leader there. He's now the pastor there. He kind of gets that final say. He uses the word judge. It's a very legal term. He makes that decision. And what we find is that he says, this is, this is the truth. We don't need to be circumcised. We don't need you know, to keep the law of Moses. And he shares out of Amos 9, 11 through 12, a very interesting passage how God would work again after 400 years of silence, God would return and rebuild the tabernacle of David. Now, that's interesting. That's in reference to the house of David. And so it had been 400 years since any descendant of David reigned as king. But now what James is saying and quoting Amos is that Jesus, the son of David, was born, the king of the Jews, the king of the world. Now his tabernacle is kind of being built again. And since then, he rules the kingdom of God. He rules in our hearts. And one day he's going to come and he's going to rule in Jerusalem. And the prophecy here of Amos 9 and 11 through 12 goes on to say, and then the rebuilding of this monarchy is so, it's just so that the rest of mankind can now seek the Lord. People like you and me. No, we're Chicanos or whatever, you know, whatever nationality it is. We get to go to Cambodia. You know, there was a time when their mindset was it was just local deities. Well, the God of that land and the God of that land and the God of that land. And then they finally realized, no, there's only one God and he loves everybody. And so, you know, this is all just they're learning as they're going through and James says it's right here in the Word. The Gentiles don't need to become Jews in order to be saved. God is able to save anyone who believes. And so he concludes in verse 18, Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, 
I judge, and that's a very legal term right there, I judge that we should not trouble the, those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogue every Sabbath. And so, you know, James here, he concludes by saying, as far as salvation goes, it's not by works. As far as salvation goes, you know, it's not the law, it's by faith. But as far as fellowship goes between Jews and Gentiles, he decides to tell them, you know, back then, you guys need to be considerate of each other. Now, it's interesting, when God did open the door of salvation to the Gentiles, he did it through Peter. Do you guys remember that story? How many of you remember? Remember the, the sheet came down and there was a whole bunch of food there? Chorizo con papas and all that. It was all, it was all there, right? And uh, the, the voice said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And, you know, he's like, no, not so, Lord. I've never done that. You know, I'm kosher. And the Lord said, hey, uh, you know, you're calling it unclean. I'm calling it clean. Times are changing now. To me, it's interesting how the door of the Gentiles was opened in conjunction with food. Food. And you're like, why food? It's because that was their, their, it was their fellowship together, right? It was now these, they're coming together now. And, and, and in kind of one sense, James is saying the same thing. Okay, listen, we want them to know that they're not saved by works or by being circumcised. But I will tell them this, though, to be considerate of one another. Because these Jews, they've been reading this all their life. And to them, you know, they don't want to be partaking of food that's offered to idols. That might make them stumble or drinking blood like you guys do or things strangled, you know, because to the Gentiles, if they strangled the animal while killing it, it, it kind of kept the blood in it, right? And, and not only that, we don't have time to elaborate this completely, but in the Gentile world, having dinner or having food, it not only meant it was bloody, it also meant it was very sexual, that's the way it was. We even read in 1 Corinthians that they sat down to eat and they rose up to play. And what that's talking about is how the, the, the pagans, that's how they would worship their gods. They would have the blood, they would eat the food, and then they would have sex. And so it's just part of the culture here. James here is being considerate of them. That's not how it's supposed to work. Salvation... That's settled. It's faith, it's grace, it's Christ. But as far as fellowship goes, let me just write you guys this letter. And this letter is going to go out, and Paul's going to take it, Barnabas is going to take it, and he just says, man, make sure that you're considerate of one another. And so, you know, in looking at this, you know, as we conclude today, the main message, man, being that the gospel is a gift, that Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, and if you place your faith in Christ, uh, you're saved. How many of you are excited about that? You're happy about that because you are all messed up and you're forgiven and you can go and you can tell people, listen, I've got a message for you with no strings attached. I'm not asking you for any money. I'm not asking you to give me anything. I'm not trying to get anything out of it. All I want to do is give you life. And when you get saved, your family will stay intact. There's hope for them. And when you get saved, 
you won't be addicted to drugs anymore because Jesus will give you power and he'll break the chains. And when you get saved, he'll provide for you in ways beyond your wildest imagination. You won't have to worry. He'll take care of you every day of your life. When you get saved and make peace with God, you'll have peace, the peace of God. And, and you know, you get to go and you get to share that message that beautiful message of grace. You know, one of the things I think that people struggle with the most is whether or not they're valued by God. And you try to, you know, you go out and you share with them, oh yes, you are valued by God. Maybe you weren't by your parents or maybe you weren't by your siblings or by your friends or whoever it is that put you down all your life, but God loves you so much that he died for you. And that once you become a Christian, You don't even, even then you don't have to go and earn it. Even then, it's still this grace that we are accepted in the beloved. And it just fills your heart with joy. And so, you know, Paul wrote to the Galatians, you guys started off in the spirit. Were you now being perfected by the flesh? No. Accept the love of God over your life. The grace the mercy, the compassion, the care. And and then as you do, you're going to grow. You're going to be blessed. Let me close with one last story. I read it from John Corson's commentary. He He was talking about a millionaire who they asked the millionaire, you know, the reason for his wealth. And this is what he said. He said, as a young man, when I was first married, I was dirt poor. Those were tough times, but being an energetic man, I took my last nickel and I, brought an a- I bought an apple. I spent the night polishing it until it became so shiny that it was a thing of beauty. And so the next day, I sold it on the street corner for a dime. So I took the dime and bought two apples, which I again uh, polished laboriously. And the next day, I sold those two apples for 20 cents. I took the 20 cents and bought four apples, which I polished and sold for 40 cents. I bought four apples, which I polished and sold eventually for $1.60. He said it went to $1.60. And then my wife's father passed away and I inherited a million (laughs) dollars. And, and this is what John Corson said. He said, that's just like us, isn't it? We, we try to say, I'm saved and I'm rich in the things of God because of my goodness or, or my fastings or my devotions or my sacrifices or my apple polishing. He said, when in all reality, we're rich because Jesus Christ has died for us and opened the floodgates Never forget.